This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Matthew chapter 1. I want to read verses 18 through 23. So follow along with me as I read these verses and then we'll, we'll look at them. Beginning at verse 18, the scripture says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and uh, took him and took unto him his wife. Father, we we commit your word to you today for a blessing for us. We're grateful, God, for sending your only begotten Son. Jesus Christ, for the very purpose of dying on a cross, not just to be born in the manger, but to die on a cross in payment for the penalty of our sins so we can be free of our sins, be forgiven, and have eternal life. And may the Word of God be precious to us today, Lord, as we examine this passage of Scripture. We're thankful, God, that we have the privilege this season of the year uh, to celebrate uh, the incarnation, your incarnation, your coming as a man, to become a man, to die as a man for sinful men. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. There's a popular song we, we hear it every year about this time of year entitled, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. That song was uh, written and published in 1963. And it's kind of interesting that even to this day, it's one of the top 10 most requested songs of this season. And it kind of puts us in a festive uh, frame of mind, doesn't it, as we sing that. There are so many traditions that we have that, uh, that uh, reminds us so much, like uh, sledding in the snow or spending time with our family, one of the most important things, I believe. Roasting marshmallows over a fire or singing Christmas carols and other things that we do during this time of year. And it is the most wonderful time of the year and uh, reminds us so much of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, while the Christmas season is a wonderful time of the year to gather together with our family and with our friends, and we'll all be doing that probably, uh, sometime during the course of this season. Um, 
my wife and I will be traveling to South Carolina. We just came back from there from, for Thanksgiving. But uh, a couple of weeks we'll be going back down to South Carolina to spend uh, Christmas, that, uh, Christmas Day and uh, that week actually uh, with some of our family down there. It'll be a wonderful time. We, we look forward to that wonderful time. But you know, <clears throat> it's also a time of despair and unrest and hopelessness for some people. Um, I'm told, I have not experienced this, but I know I'm speaking today to some of you that have gone through this experience of losing your mate. And uh, I understand that, that Christmas sometimes for, for you can be a very discouraging, uh, maybe even depressing time uh, because you, you miss the one that you loved and, uh, and have spent so many wonderful times and have so many wonderful experiences and memories of. And so it can be, it can be a time of despair in a sense. But you know, we live in an imperfect world where too often things are going well one minute and they break down the next. Or things that seem to be certain today, they become uncertain and chaotic tomorrow. We're, we're living in that kind of a day. I, I think in my lifetime, I can't remember a period of time, a, 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 a season of time, when things have been so chaotic as they are now. And uh, in the political realm and in the spiritual realm and so many other things, I've said this so many times, you've heard me say it several times, and you'll probably hear me say it several more times. The Bible tells us that evil men shall wax worse and worse in the latter days, the last days. And I believe we're there. I really believe we're there. I know we preachers have been saying that for, uh, you know, as long as I've heard people preach, as long as I've heard preachers preach, I've heard that said, you know. We're living in the last days. But I can't help but to read the Bible and then pick up the newspaper and read it and see, see those, things, those two things coinciding with all the signs of the coming of the Lord that were given in the Bible. Every one of them are present today. I, I don't remember who this was, but somebody just recently asked me, um, What is there? Oh, I, I, I remember now who it was. Uh, <clears throat> it was a friend of mine from another state called me and said, Pastor, somebody, someone I, I used to pastor, says, Pastor, what's standing between now and the rapture? And I said, nothing. Uh, we've always preached and believed that the rapture is imminent. That means that there's nothing standing between that occurrence and right now. There's nothing as far as I can see in scripture that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture would take place. In fact, as I was just saying, I believe that we're so close to that time that we may not even have to, we may have our evening service in heaven. And I believe that with all my heart. Things are so chaotic. There was one man in the Bible, um, 
He knew just what it was to, to have a wonderful life where everything seemed to be going according to the plan. And, um, and then suddenly his world was turned upside down. We're talking about Joseph. As um, this event was recorded for us here in this first chapter of the book of Matthew, and we see it in other places in Scripture, second chapter of Luke, first and second chapters of Luke, and we'll look at some of those verses too as the story unfolds for us this morning. But um, in, in Matthew chapter 2, there, there is an account of Joseph being, being hit with unexpected news and struggling as to how to handle that. Uh, we can just see him trying to handle that news that, uh, that um, this one that he's espoused to is going to have a baby. Uh, that certainly, if I was in his shoes, it certainly would blow me out of the tub. And I'm sure that would you, would for you too. He struggled with this. His, his dream was falling apart. He thought it was at least. And his hope for a wonderful future appeared to suddenly be shattered. But when things seem to be the most hopeless, you know, God steps in. God stepped in here with news about the birth of Messiah who would be the hope of the world. You have in your notes there this quote from Pastor Robert J. Morgan. I'm going to quote him a couple of times here. But he writes about this word hope in his book entitled The Promise, God Works All Things Together for Good. And here's what he said. He said, in the Bible, the word hope is not synonymous with maybe. Biblical hope refers to sure and certain expectations, which because they're still in the future, create in us a sense of anticipation. That's what biblical hope is. You know, sometimes we use the word hope. Well, I hope so and so happens. Well, that's a wishful thinking type of hope, but that's not the hope that the scripture speaks of. The hope that Scripture speaks of is a, is a certain anticipation of what's actually going to happen. And that's what Morgan uh, uh, writes about here. And so hope in this sense is based on the promises of God that can, that can, that can change our anticipation of the future. For Joseph, this hope was the promise that he would see the Messiah that God had promised who would come and save the world. He, uh, he, this was hope to him. You know, challenges often come our ways that threaten to derail, derail our plans. And I wonder, can any of you think of a time in your life when, you, when your life was turned upside down by a challenge of something that was unforeseen and certainly unexpected? You ever had that happen? Probably every one of us here at some time or another have been faced with that. Something that came that was unexpected. It was extraordinary. It was, it was something that just ruined our plans, you know. Well, let me ask you this question. <clears throat> How did God work this out in your life for his glory? Isn't it wonderful to see God at work sometimes? Uh, something comes our way that just spoils the whole thing. And yet as we're patient with the Lord and we see 
his hand working and this whole situation unfold, we realized that what we thought was to our detriment was actually to our advantage. And God works it out that way. How have you handled situations like that? Um, well, <clears throat> we're going to see how Joseph handled this. So not, Roman numeral number one, the pronouncement of the hope is found in verse 18. The pronouncement of hope, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Well, with just these few words, the Holy Spirit gives an important detail about Joseph <coughs> and Mary and, uh, and the couple to whom God was about to reveal uh, his plan, the plan for the world, actually. Um, <clears throat> so letter A, it was given to an espoused couple. Mary was espoused to Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 18. In our American culture, we, we still have, we maintain, or we observe the practice of entering into a period of engagement before a couple exchanges the wedding vows. That's, that's, our, that's our practice here in America. But the tradition of the Jewish culture in our Lord's day and this day was different. <clears throat> this betrothal period is actually, or spousal period, was actually a little different than our engagement period. Similar, and um, <clears throat> for similar purpose, and in, in a sense, but it was. But there were somewhat. It was somewhat different. Uh, for, uh, for all intent and purposes, the, purp the the couple was already legally married under Jewish law, but they were observing. They had to observe a period of separation before their relationship was consummated by in intimacy. And during this time of separation, <clears throat> the period, time period varied a little bit. But during this time <clears throat> of the espousal, the groom would prepare a home where they were going to live. Uh, he would, uh, if it had to be built, sometimes they built an addition onto uh, dad's house. That was the occasion. But it was a time to prepare for the bride and group to come together. And no doubt, as any eager groom may be, Joseph, he was wishing that these days of separation would just zip by. Uh, you remember those days, don't you? Uh, you, 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 <clears throat> you were just waiting for him to disappear, those waiting, that waiting period, that, that engagement period, right? Of course you were. And uh, <clears throat> he was in love. He had already committed himself to her for the rest of his life. So you can imagine that, must, uh, that most of his leisure time, he probably spent daydreaming about how wonderful life was going to be in just a short time. Wonderful thing. Well, little did he know that he was about to get much more than the contract that he had made with his bride's father and what that called for. <clears throat> during, this, uh, during this espousal period, the, uh, the bridegroom would make a contract. It was a contract that he made with the bride's father. And uh, this, uh, this engagement period, this espousal period, then became legal, and it became binding. 
And so <clears throat> it was given to an espoused couple, but secondly, letter B, it was given to a pure couple. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Excuse me, I know this is annoying to you, but I'm having a little problem here. I think somebody just went to get me. In fact, I think two people just went to get me, so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, there, it's, uh, <clears throat> there are some versions of the Bible. Um, there are some versions of the Bible that are perversions of the Bible. Uh, that's one reason why we stick to the King James around here. Uh, that's not to say that all versions are perversions, but <clears throat> some of them are. And, uh, and what makes some of them perversions is that they pervert doctrines, and one of the doctrines that's perverted in some of those versions is the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. In other words, they change the description of Mary from a virgin to a young woman. I remember when I was a teenager preparing to go to college, there was a version of the Bible come out that came out called the Revised Standard Version. We don't hear much of it anymore. But one of the big controversies about that version was that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, they changed the, they changed the word version, which was an accurate translation of the Hebrew word, to young woman. <clears throat> and, uh, but it's interesting when you came to the New Testament that, that quoted that verse, uh, they maintained, thank you, sir, appreciate that. They maintain the word version. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so there's been an attempt to desecrate the virgin birth of Christ. And that basically is what this lesson is particularly about today. As a matter of fact, of, of, of um, adhering to and, and um, supporting the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. While this substitution may seem to be innocuous uh, on the surface, it's problematic. And the reason it's prob problematic is because it allows room for modernists and atheists to deny the virgin birth of Christ. <clears throat> that is to deny the fact that Mary was a virgin when she conceived uh, Jesus Christ. The scripture in verse 18 here is clear that Joseph and Mary were morally pure. <clears throat> Why? Because she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. This was not Joseph's child. This was, a, this was God. Um, numerous times the scriptures, in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit protects the doctrine of the virgin birth uh, by declaring that Mary was pure and in a right standing with God before, before he revealed his plan, the plan, uh, uh, his plan by way of the announcement that was given to us of the angel of the Lord found in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, here's what we read. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel came, came in unto her and said, Hail, uh, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed are thee among women. Do you think the angel of the Lord would have said that to a woman who was impure? Here's what he said. He said, he said thou art highly favored. Uh, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So Mary was a pure woman. She, she was not impure. And this proclamation came to a pure couple. The Bible tells us in clear terms that Mary was, was more than a young woman. She was a young woman who was a virgin. The word translated virgin here in this uh, text uh, in our English Bible is the Greek word parthenos. And here's what it literally means. It means a woman who has never had sexual relations with a man. And the importance of the doctrine of the virgin birth cannot be overstated, especially when we consider that God has carefully repeated this over and over again in the scriptures. It doesn't appear just one time, but several times. By the way, anything that appears in the Bible one time is authentic, right? It doesn't have to appear more than one time. <clears throat> but it seems like the Holy Spirit, in writing the scriptures, made very clear to us that Mary was a virgin when she conceived, okay? Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, I quoted this verse, or referred to this verse a few moments ago. But here's what that verse says. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Now that verse has both a, what we call a local application, or, or a, a local application and a future application. The future application of it is the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, that a virgin shall conceive and bear, and bear uh, a son. It's called Emmanuel. Letter C, uh, given to a blessed couple. Uh, there are two statements found at the latter part, of, of the, the last part of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 that, uh, that I think support this. Number one, first the Bible says that Mary was found with child. That word found there is the Greek word that indicates something that is discovered through inquiry or by observation. She was found with child, something that is recognized, something that's detected. In other words, Mary's pregnant with pregnancy was not something that either Joseph or Mary had, had previous knowledge of. They didn't know this was going to happen. It was an unexpected discovery to them that she was found with child. And so, and the second thing here, the, uh, the second phrase that's found here that actually is more important is this child was of the Holy Ghost. Typically when a baby is conceived, it's identified as the product of both a mother and a father. We all understand that. And yet the Bible makes no mention here of a father for Jesus. It just says, it talks about a mother, not a father. And uh, uh, Jesus was without, that, without doubt the most important baby there ever to be born in the history of the world. In fact, God has much more information for us a little bit later on in the epistles. 
in Galatians chapter 4, in verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> it says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. No mention of a father here. A biological father. Made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. So she, uh, the, <clears throat> uh, this child was made of a woman. It's an interesting phrase. Uh, basic biology 101 would demand that uh, that is uh, that it's a physical impossibility for a baby to be conceived without a man's contribution. But the Bible's clear that Jesus had no earthly biological father. How could this be? Well, as a wise man once said, I think you got this quote there in your handout. Don't try to explain it. You'll lose your mind. Don't try to deny it. You'll lose your soul. All we need to know is that this was the work of God. That's all we need to know. It was the work of God. The very child that all Israel had been waiting for <clears throat> was the child that Mary was carrying in her womb, made of a woman. And the hope of the world is wrapped up in the doctrinal, this doctrinal truth that Jesus is not the son of a human father. He is the Son of God, the Son of God. And so that brings us to the second point here, the pondering of Joseph. And this is found in verses 19 and 20. And then Joseph, her husband, uh, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear thou not, take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And so he was pondering over this. Can you, can you, you can only imagine how perplexed Joseph may have been having realized, the, having received the news that his espoused wife, the woman that he loved, that he was working hard for to <clears throat> find a, fix a place for, for them to live and so forth, that, uh, that she was going to have a baby that wasn't his. That was the announcement. And so J uh, Joseph wrestled with the consequences of this situation. Shall I have her stoned? Shall I divorce her? And by the way, that was the two options that he had as a Jew living under the Mosaic law. Uh, according to the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, uh, <clears throat> if a man was a spouse to a woman and she was found with child, she obviously had committed adultery. And so the law gave the espoused uh, bridegroom the option of either, either having her stoned publicly or giving her a bill of divorcement, putting her away privately. And that's what this reference here is of, of the two options here, either making a public example out of her or put her away privately. And it's referring to the condition or the options of the law. Under the law, he could have had her stoned. But while he was thinking on this, he, he kind of settled on the second option to put her away, to put her away privately. And so he was in a quandary. What is he going to do? His dream of a happy 
ever after marriage was vanishing. And um, he probably questioned why God would allow such a thing to come to his life. That would be a normal reaction, wouldn't it? Lord, why, 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 Lord, why? I've heard it said that we should never ask God why. You know, Jesus asked God why when he was on the cross. Why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus asked his father that. Why hast thou forsaken me? And uh, so sometimes we do question. I'm not sure that our questions are always legitimate questions and probably aren't. And, and, and we should probably re, uh, refrain from questioning God. But I'm sure Joseph had, these, had some questions in his mind at this point in time. Um, he, he must, he must rem, uh, we must remember that no matter what's going on around us or how little sense it may make to us, God is always right. We can't lose sight of that. And, uh, and I, I suppose that maybe Joseph knew that and he probably uh, had that in his mind. But Joseph had a choice. He could either follow his emotions or he could trust his God. What am I going to do? This was the quandary he was in. What am I going to do, God? Which option is he going to choose? You know, when you find yourself in a place where you don't understand God's plan or why God has allowed something strange to happen to you, you have these same choices. We can either go with our emotions, follow our emotions, or we can follow God. And... Um, I think it's best for us to follow God. Now, to go back to Pastor Morgan again, and, and uh, another quote from him here, we don't always feel that God's way is right, but his faithfulness doesn't depend on our vacillating emotions, rather on his unchanging word. It's not a matter of how we feel, but of what God says, and that's where we need to be. When God allows things to come into our lives that we don't quite understand uh, and we have emotional responses to those things, it's best for us just to wait on the Lord and follow God's uh, leading in this. And so we see, first of all, that, his, that he pondered justly. This is letter A under number two. He pondered justly. We find a couple of notable things mentioned here about Joseph's character in verse 19. First of all, the Bible says he was a just man. The, word, the Greek word for just here means righteous. He was observing divine laws. He was virtuous. He was keeping the commands of God. That's what it means here, that he was a just man. <clears throat> God was a man who followed the Jewish law. He tried to live in obedience to the Jewish law. Uh, Joseph, would, Joseph, um, Joseph would have known that he was well within his right to either divorce her or have her publicly stoned. He had, that, he had those options. And um, uh, either choice would have been justified under the Mosaic law. He had the right to do either one of those. And so that brings us to letter B. He pondered compassionately. Secondly, uh, we also find that Joseph was a merciful 
man. Not only was he a just man, he was a merciful man. And Matthew records for us that rather than make a public example of Mary, Joseph favored the option of putting her away privately. That's what he was going to do. He decided, okay, I'll just put her away privately. That means that he would not humiliate her in the public or in front of her family or his family or friends uh, by accusing her of adultery. But he would quietly write a bill of divorcement and she'd be free to sneak off to some, somewhere, maybe to a friend or a relative's house in another town perhaps to have the baby. He just wouldn't make a big deal out of it. And so Joseph could easily have sought revenge against Mary. He had that right under the law, actually, but his choice of options speaks very highly of his love for him, for her. He loved her. And because of that, he was not only a just man, but he was a merciful man. I, I think of that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that great passage on love. Fifteen characteristics of love we find there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm not going to take the time to read those, but, but think about those. <clears throat> just, to, just to give you a brief uh, example here. Charity suffereth long, it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly or seek its own. Provoke, it provokes no evil and so forth. He loved her to that point. He was willing to be merciful toward her, and he was just going to write her a bill of divorcement and let her go her way. A merciful man. But then also in letter C, he pondered patiently. Notice in verse 20, it begins like this, but while he thought on these things. Joseph was still thinking about what he could do when he heard from God. He was not impetuous in his decision. And although an impatient response could have been acceptable in his society, he waited to think rather than to make a hasty decision about, about something that would affect his and Mary's life so dramatically and permanently. And you know, that's where we ought to find ourselves sometimes, just waiting on the Lord. Instead of being so impetuous, when circumstances come into our lives that are out of our control and yet maybe not out of God's will, our best response is to wait to hear from God. That's our best response. We should never make hasty decisions when our feelings are hurt or we're treated unjustly, but instead of jumping to conclusions and resorting to choices that would make, make things happen our way, we should wait to hear from the Lord. Always, he always, God always reveals his will in his time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It was when I was at Bob Jones University. This was our, this was our society verse. Listen to it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. When we wait on the Lord to give us clear direction in our life, when we're faced with circumstances that affect us emotionally, that affect us in other ways, if we'll just wait to hear from God, it'll save us a lot of problems sometimes. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Here's a quote. 
The surest way to make a life change, make a life changing mistake is to do it your way because God hasn't revealed his way to you yet. And sometimes when we're impetuous, impatient, we make choices and make mistakes that last a lifetime if we would just learn to wait on the Lord. I'm so glad that Joseph waited on the Lord. While he thought on these things, God spoke to him. And that brings us to the last point, the provision of God, verses 20 and 21. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and, it shall, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. So God had a purpose in all of this. If you spend time with a three-year-old, you quickly learn that one of their favorite questions is, why? Now, they want to know the answer to everything. Why the sky is blue? Why dogs bark? Why do I have to go to bed? The list can go on and on, as you know. <clears throat> it can be exhausting just to keep up with their questions, not to mention answering their questions. And uh, three-year-olds can be trying in that way, but you know what? You and I are often like three-year-olds when, be when we become occupied with asking questions about what God is doing or when he's going to step in and intervene or why he hasn't worked in the way we thought he should work. You sit around thinking of those questions? God, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you intervened? And so on. Uh, we want to know, and we want to know right now. But God always reveals what we need to know at the time that we need to know it. And sometimes not before, probably most of the time. When we don't know every detail and we aren't sure how things are going to work out, we can rest in the knowledge that God is good and that he loves us and that he has an unfolding plan for, for each of us. We can just rest in him and trust him. Charles Spurgeon said, when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. And I think Joseph found this to be true in the midst of his pain, confusion, and his questions. He discovered that there was hope. And so his plan, this, the plan was miraculous, letter A. The plan was miraculous, according to verse 20. In our darkest expectations, we're prone to forget that God has a plan to bring us good out of our suffering, his appointments out of our disappointments. We sit around and, and mope over our disappointments sometimes and find out that the, our disappointment was God's appointment. And God brings something good out of it. All things work together for good for those who love God. Did you catch that? All things work together for good to those who love God. All things. Whatever circumstances you may be facing right now, God may allow that to come into your life for some, something good to happen. You see, 
Why? Because God is good and he loves us. Uh, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, it says this, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel, I, I've already read that, so I won't read it again. But we also read, um, um, not only was Jesus born of a woman, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 1 and verse, uh, and verse um, 35. Luke 1, 35, it says, And the angel appeared unto her and said, the, uh, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born unto thee shall be called the Son of God. Those who deny Christ's virgin birth also deny his eternal Godhead and his deity. But some try to soften that by saying, well, he was a moral teacher. He was a prophet. Or according to the Koran, he's a messenger of Allah. But here's what the Bible declares. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, the scripture says, For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It was a miraculous plan that God had. Uh, uh, he was conceived, Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He came for a purpose to be the Son of God, for the purpose of saving sinners, which we're going to look at here in just a moment. But because of his miraculous conception, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't shed blood that came from Joseph's seed. He didn't shed blood that was da from the damaged and tainted seed of the Adamic line from which one, each one of us came. That's why we're so prone to sin is because our blood is tainted. But when he went to the cross, he shed blood that was the blood of God, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he wasn't conceived. He didn't, Jesus didn't have a biological earthly father, heavenly, uh, a human father. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. It was a miraculous thing. Um, and that's why this Christmas season is so significant. If there was no Christmas, there would be no cross. And in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge our conscience, your conscience, from dead work to serve the living God? Letter B, the provision offers salvation, according to verse 21. The miraculous birth provided for God's miraculous plan to send a son, Jesus Christ, for the, the specific purpose of being a savior. Luke 2, 11 says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a what? What's the next word? A savior, which is Christ the Lord. Luke 19, 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 1 Timothy 1, 15, for this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I am chief. The purpose for Jesus' birth is embedded in his name. Do you realize that? In uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 
21, um, that tells us that the angel of the Lord told Joseph to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The, the Hebrew name Jesus literally means Jehovah saves. That's what Jesus means. Jehovah saves. And the word Savior means deliverer. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, for the single purpose of saving us sinners from our sins, which he covered with his blood so that we could gain forgiveness and everlasting peace through faith. Letter C. The promise is personal. Verse 23. Verse 23 says this. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so uh, the miraculous birth provided for God's miraculous plan to send his son Jesus Christ for this specific purpose. And this, and this purpose and this promise was a personal promise. Um, this name Emmanuel uh, in verse 23 here um, means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, the Messiah, born of a virgin because he is united with men by incarnation. His coming to earth shows that God is dwelling with men. He came to give us true hope through the unspeakable gift of eternal life. John 1 says, For he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then Paul tells us in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the promise is personal. It's to us, each one of us, individually. And then the conclusion there, you have the full conclusion as I've, uh, as I've written it or as it has been written uh, there in your notes. Uh, we might wonder how Joseph took the news of God's revealed plan. It must have been, it must have sounded incredible to him beyond belief, surely beyond understanding. While scripture doesn't record his reaction, it does make note of his actions. In verse 25, we see that Joseph believed God and accepted God's purpose for his life by obeying the instructions to the angel of the Lord. He didn't divorce Mary. Nor did he get. Nor did he, did he have her stoned. Instead, when the baby was born, Joseph named him Jesus, and that was a direct act of faith in God's plan. And then uh, this quotation here by by Scott uh, Heffman: Hope in God's promises is not a wishful longing, but a faith-filled confidence for the future. It is simply impossible to trust one of God's promises and not anticipate it coming true. To know God is to trust him and to trust God is to trust his promises. 
and to trust God's promises is to be sure of their fulfillment. This assurance uh, concerning the future anchored in God's promises is what the Word of God calls hope. There is hope in there. And this is a season of hope. And, and uh, all of our hope is in Jesus Christ. When we trust Jesus Christ as so, his Savior, we have real hope. And we praise God for that. Amen? Father God, thank you so much for this hope that you've provided for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin, miraculously. And Lord, again, we just thank you for this time of year when we can highlight that in our own personal lives. I pray, God, that you will help us to trust you in, in, uh, in all the circumstances of our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.